Hi everyone, welcome to the LCF Careers podcast series, Careers in Fashion. Today we're going to be focusing on the art of freelancing and the importance of intellectual property. So we're joined today by Matt Dowling, the founder of the Freelancer Club, and Roxanne Peters, who is an intellectual property educator for UAL. We're going to ask a few questions about freelancing today and also IP for the students. So, Poonam, do you want to get started? Great, thank you so much, Sagan. Thanks, Matt, for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, my background uh, was freelance photography. And uh, when I finished uni, I really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. And out of necessity, picked up a camera and started shooting anything that anybody wanted. It sounds murkier than it was. But um, business-wise, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Lots and lots of mistakes, figuring it out as I went along, and to the point where I got a, a really big um, wake-up call from one company who, after a year of successful working, stopped paying me each month with excuse after excuse. Six months later, it cost me 11 grand. Couldn't afford rent, owed a lot of money, bought my ticket back to Ireland to... Uh, get a real job and pay everyone back with my tail between my legs. But um, it made the paper sort of embarrassingly. And then people reached out off the back of that and said similar things had happened to them. And I think that sowed the seed for what is uh, Freelancer Club, which is my um, company at the moment. Uh, and it effectively supports creative freelancers through uh, connecting them with other freelancers, helping them understand what it is to run a business. Uh, we offer things like free legal advice, uh, we have templates that they can use, we have events that they can come to, access to paid work, access to test shoots or collaborative opportunities, and effectively we're trying to create a community whereby freelancers feel more supported uh, and not as scared. That sort of brings us up to where we are today. Great, thank you. Yeah, so, my, um, so I've been at UAL for 10 months, but my background has been in cultural heritage um, as a, an IP cultural and creative rights strategists. So it's been working across museums, libraries and archives and digital platforms, really looking at how to best manage and share cultural content. Um, and that extends to working with creatives who are inspired by what's come before and then really kind of looking at supporting future generations now. So I'm sort of transitioning from working with custodians who own other people's works and, and uh, to, to working with creatives directly. So from a student's point of view, many of them do want to be self-employed and work as freelancers. Um, would you say this makes, as a quite a broad question, but would you say this makes a strong career pathway? Yeah, I think for some it's, it, it's almost the only uh, pathway uh, for certain industries. Um, it's not for everybody. I think if you don't have a thick skin and somewhat uh, of, of a decent understanding of business, it, it can be challenging. Um, but then it comes with a huge amount of benefits, you know, it, it, it brings with it a lot of freedom after a couple of years, particularly once you start to understand how it works. Um, 
and, and I think it allows you to properly express yourself uh, as an artist without too much restriction. Uh, in saying that, you know, it can be um, a tough road for a lot of people. Um, more guys prefer the monthly uh, paycheck that comes in every, uh, every month and gives them that level of security, um, which, uh, I mean, is probably better for your mental health for, uh, compared to a lot of freelancers. <laughs> Um, but more companies, I think, are starting to adapt their business structure to incorporate freelancers. Uh, so it's kind of an exciting time if it is something that students are interested in. Uh, and I know more and more students are freelancing while studying. Uh, and even that um, is a very interesting uh, landscape to, to talk about. Mm. And from your experience, are there any, I guess, particular disciplines where you see that there is a demand for freelancers? Well, the tech space, obviously, um, it's starting to become, uh, or already is, uh, very much in demand, particularly so the UI, UX, in terms of the creative side. Uh, developers um, always uh, will find work. Uh, typically, they'll find more contract work, whereby I think a lot of people, when they think of freelancers, think of very short-term projects, maybe a day or two. Uh, video is hot at the moment, and photography, although had a bit of a blip, we found the last couple of years is coming back strong. Uh, what we're finding is that freelancers almost need to be great, not good now, as there's so much uh, content out there that's more easily created. You know, technology, uh, a phone and a filter, and you can take a pretty good photo. To take a really great photo, I, I, I think you, you've, you've got to have an eye, you've got to have a sense of imagination and creativity. And these, some people would define them as soft skills, but actually I think they're essential skills now. Um, are starting to come to the fore, uh, whereby technically in the past that would have been the major uh, selling point for a freelancer. I think they need to be more rounded, probably more diverse in the things that they're able to provide a company. And yeah, creatively, I mean, everything from hair, makeup and design, illustration, um, it, it, it is there, but it could do it a bit more support. Just to touch on talking about the creative industry and it needing more support, what do you think we could do to provide that support? Yeah, well, I, I think UIL are one of the best. I mean, the, the, the work uh, that's getting done in High Holborn um, with the enterprise mm -hmm. workshops, um, I mean, I know the guys have put that together and it is fantastic. Um, I know it's pretty new and, and they're sort of finding their feet with a couple of bits, but the concept of that, I think, is so vital and beneficial to students. I, I sometimes come in and talk to students and it, it's really interesting how some are already freelancing and simultaneously feel like they're missing a lot of key skills to be freelancing. So education in terms of just that freelance landscape, what it feels like to be a freelancer, not just from the business perspective, but actually from the emotional side of things. There is a huge piece around loneliness, uh, the impact on mental health. I think it doesn't get spoken about enough, uh, it feels still a bit taboo, but Freelancing is no different to running your own business. You know, we just call it something sexier, but really it has all the same challenges. Um, and I'd love to see universities embrace the fact that their students are freelancing more than ever and provide them with, um, with more and more support services such as, uh, as the ones UAL are already doing. Great, perfect. So you've talked about why you set up the Freelancer Club. Um, what would you say your proudest moment is for since you've been running your business? 
something happened this morning, if you're interested. It's, it's, and it's a bit of a weird one. So we got an email from someone from Poland. Sorry, this is going to be a little sad, by the way. But um, <laughs> someone from Poland, and, and they're trying to find their brother who they hadn't seen in 10 years. And they, because their dad had passed away. And they managed to find them on the, on the club through a profile and connected with them. We spoke about it to, to, to the guys to make sure everyone was okay. And, and this idea of connection for us, and I, I mean, that's a bizarre example, but just in the general sense of giving people that sense um, of being included in a niche that they may feel a bit isolated typically. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, the thought of being an artist or creative was like, okay, but what are you doing for your real job? Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's cool for the weekends <laughs> or a bit of fun. And I think it's, it's cool within our club that people embrace and are proud of the fact that they're creative. Mm -hmm. And they love the fact that they're able to produce and collaborate and come together and meet other people. And London is waking up to the fact that we contribute a huge amount to the economy. And we should, we should start um, being a little bit more proud of the guys who, who are doing this. So the fact we're able to bring so many people together, we have about 30,000 members now. Uh, we're about to roll out into New York later in the year, and we're going to have these mini communities of super proud, incredibly talented, creative freelancers who I think are starting to understand their value a little bit more inside and out. And that puts a smile on my face, I and mean, that certainly gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, I know before you mentioned about sort of mental health and perhaps other skills that students feel like they're missing in terms of employability skills. How can students, how do you feel students can? I guess manage their time effectively between all the other commitments they have at university and freelancing? Yeah, that's a really, really great question and a, and a tricky challenge because I don't think anyone wants to say no, particularly when you're starting out. Uh, if somebody provides you with an opportunity, your, your inclination is to accept it and sort of figure it out afterwards. It's a sort of the classic actor saying they can ride a horse and then mm -hmm. quickly learning how to ride a horse before the gig. <laughs> So I think the, the students, even, even from the get-go, would benefit from being able to manage that time and the amount of additional work they take on so as not to put too much pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely not a race, you know, and I think you'll end up hurting your clients more if you try and take on too many. One of the big ones that we find, students in particular, don't get very quickly until they have a bit of experience is communication with clients and the importance as a freelancer, particularly a remote working freelancer, to have a really clean and clear line of communication with the client. Even if it's a case of like, I'm a bit busy at the moment, I'll get back to you in a sec. Those little messages are huge for a client. So we feel that a junior has the maturity and the professionalism to be able to get on with the job, but tell me if they're a bit busy. So not to be too scared to tell a client I'm busy. Most clients are, are, are very susceptible to that and I think w would be fine to find a, a common ground. And then maybe just not over-promising at the start, you know, try to be realistic. Hopefully most students don't rely on the money they generate from freelancing. I mean, I'm sure some do, but, but if you're not, then look at it as a way to kind of build up your, your skill set, your experience and your contacts. So that when you do have that time, maybe when you get past the, your degree or, or finish uni, that you can absolutely charge out of the gates and, and, and you're ready to go. So I, I think that kind of awareness of uh, time is, is a key one that be great for students to get uh, whilst in uni as opposed to uh, when it's too late. I'd say it's an opportunity for them to learn because they've got the sort of comfort blanket of being at university. So like you said, it's not as if that is their the only thing that they're doing. So I think having the university mm -hmm. as sort of a safety blanket, if you like, and 
accessing all the services that they have at university as well. Mm. So I guess there are many advantages to them starting this journey whilst they're here, um, as opposed to waiting until they graduate and going from there. Yeah, yeah, hugely. And and that's such a good point. It, it, it is a space to be able to make some mistakes. I mean, you wouldn't want to tell that to the client too often. And, <laughs> you know, I've hired uh, freelance students. I am currently hiring freelance students and I adore them. They're really motivated. They're really invested in our brand. They're thankful for the opportunity and they give me a huge amount of value to, to the company. I do notice that these little bits that, that you've raised, like making the odd mistake do come up and I guess because the role I play I like helping them and so we'll, we'll take them to one side and talk them through that aspect and not everybody has that but definitely I mean it's the perfect time to freelance in my opinion I wish I'd collected 20 something years ago <laughs> brilliant yes so intellectual property is quite a big deal when it comes to freelancing what elements do you think students need to consider when carrying out such work yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of tee up what I think. The, mm -hmm. the confusion is certainly around our, our members. So uh, we uh, represent a huge amount of content creators, whether it's video or photography in particular. We also have a lot of guys who we would classify as freelance personnel, like makeup, hair, modeling. The confusion, I think, is ownership of, of the content, ownership of the image. I think in uh, a collaborative aspect, who owns that, that, that photo if you've all contributed? Often there aren't any contracts, so um, we, we try and encourage guys to use a test shoot contract. Uh, we have a template on the site, and we know so many don't bother because it just seems like a formality for something that's creative and passion-driven, and it's not a business thing. Um, so I think that's a, a definite one and then um, even submitting work to magazines or submitting it for a credit um, there's a huge amount of confusion around uh, and yeah I'd, I'd be personally really curious to know <laughs> how all of it works well I think intellectual property is a huge part of all of our lives and when it comes to freelancing I think just touching upon what Matt's just been saying it sounds like there's a lot of confusion around you know not the creation itself but the actual ownership and use of content afterwards and I think when freelancing whether it seems a formality or not I think it's that kind of education around what people are creating and thinking about intellectual property as being someone's own personal currency you know some of them might not want to make a huge commercial gain from something it could be much more a collaborative kind of open way of sharing content but I think some of the things to think about when starting up is right from the beginning being very clear on which person's contributed to what in writing and it doesn't have to be a big legal scary jargony contract but something which I often just give as practical tips to students is if you're having a friendly conversation with somebody or you've been approached by someone to do something, always get something in writing, even if it's just an email that's just to reflect back on what someone's um, agreed. So thinking about you know what you all want to get out of the project, so thinking what the actual mutual benefit is of that agreement, how long that agreement's for, you know, if there's any costs involved, what that payment's going to be. And also, I think with freelancing particularly, it's making sure that um, this often happens, I'm finding, where people commit to a project, but they then don't have permission to use images of 
whatever project they've worked on in their actual portfolios to showcase and make themselves more visible. So that sort of thing is really important to factor in as well. So thinking beyond the one-time use of a, of a project, basically. What is the difference between copyright, <laughs> patenting and IP protection? Okay, so um, intellectual property is a really clunky term, but if you um, think of intellectual property like your personal currency, um, so it's an umbrella term and it protects four different main areas that underpin innovation, business and creative practice. So copyright protects a lot of the things that Matt's already touched upon, I think. So it protects everything from, might be a ha- I think you mentioned hairstyling earlier on, we've talked about theatre design, right down to things like source code. Um, so copyright protects creative works in what we think of in a traditional sense of photography, fine art. But it, because the law is always keeping up or trying to keep up with emerging technologies increasingly copyright you know it's kind of looking at how it fits into these different boxes so the so copyright literally prevents somebody or protects someone from copying your work in any way and that can be from a straightforward as taking an image like you mentioned earlier on like it's very easy to shoot and point these days uh, right through to creating something like for like sort of replica copies and then um, patenting protects um, the way things work so patents protect inventions patents in terms of um, from a student's perspective particularly um, rarely would come up in the context of study unless they'd really invented something really really innovative patents take a really long time to register so you have to register patents Um, you don't have to register copyright it's something that arises automatically so an example of a patent um, might be some wearable tech or something you know um, and then the other two areas on here are trademarks and design rights trademarks protect symbols logos they can protect smells colours but they are essentially designed to protect and they're probably more identifiable I think than other elements of intellectual property they protect your reputation brand identity and it's really ensuring that you've got um, clear goods and services and that it's distinctive from someone else's so that if anyone else were to try and pass off your work or counterfeit your work uh, it's your trademark you'd rely on they also have to be registered Um, and then the last one which is very relevant to fashion furniture kind of mass-produced commercial goods are design rights they're they're sometimes known as shape designs or industrial designs looking at the yeah the way things work and they last a little bit less time than the other areas of intellectual property but I think again across uh, UAL students particularly but I think across the creative industries it's always this interplay between copyright design rights and trademarks are always going to be interdependent they don't work on their own basically so so how would someone go about protecting their IP what would what would be their first steps yeah so as I mentioned just before copyright is something that's an automatic right on creation so I think it's really important to remember that intellectual property whilst it does protect ideas it only protects ideas once they're expressed in some way so they have to be fixed again so if you've got we're having this conversation now the recording would be an example of intellectual property as a sound recording 
Okay, so um, you have to fix that. So um, copyright you don't register in the UK and most other countries you do in the US. So I think it's important to remember that intellectual property does work in an international mm -hmm. context and it will vary sometimes. But to protect your intellectual property if it's trademarks and patents and some design rights, you don't just automatically get them. You have to register them through the, in the UK, the intellectual property office and there'll be equivalents per country to do that. So anything that involves protecting trademarks, design rights or um, patents, that would be the first thing. And again, if it's refused, which I've been at UAL for 10 months and there's been quite a lot of students already who are want, particularly fashion students, who are wanting to trademark their brand. And it's sort of just being mindful of that process but before even before that I think once you've created something and you think this is amazing this is the next next whatever I think it would always be worth getting legal advice before you actually enter into going down the route of trademarking and patenting and paying and Matt's already mentioned which is great that you offer free legal advice and there are a lot of law firms that also give pro bono advice so that's something students have available to them as well as I said once you create something it's fixed I think with copyright because you can't register it in the same way in a way you're a little bit more vulnerable if you like so I always recommend to students whatever it is you're doing be it in 2d 3d or like digital it's keeping copies of your creative process and dating signing everything again just in the event that particularly with collaboration it's not always clear and if anyone were to fall out or there were any kind of dispute it's kind of keeping that evidence and that paper or digital trail if you like and then in terms of protection with copyright just to reinforce that the copyright symbol you see isn't a legal requirement as such if you create if you took a photograph Matt as a photographer and Matt was to put his name to that wherever the photo was used if, if I just came and used your photo and I was like well I've put your name at the bottom of it it's fine I'm gonna use it it's not fine because I need to get permission from Matt still so just to be mindful that just because you find something online that's got someone's name and you credit them, that's not enough to just do it. You'd need to, to get permission depending on what you're using it for. One thing that is important to say, if it is something that you might be able to patent, it's really important not to share your ideas with anybody until a later time, with patents particularly, um, just because, yeah, yeah things happen. So we have many students who work with the careers team um, to find internship opportunities. Um, so they're always encouraged to send maybe like a PDF of some of their design mm. work, PDF attachment, or if they have, um, like, like you said, digital, if they have a digital portfolio to send that. Is there anything, any tips that you can give for how they can protect their portfolio work? Yeah, so, now, because I work across um, the colleges, so I'm working mm. with lots of different disciplines, I totally respect that. You know, I can say one thing in theory and in practice, it's, mm. it depends on the nature of, of that particular yeah. industry. But just from a, it's not even with my kind of official intellectual property hat on, but mm. from a purely practical perspective and thinking of students being the kind of agent of their own mm. kind of worth, if you like. Unless they need to send their whole portfolio, I would always suggest they just send a sample. sample yeah. well, I, I was with um, screenwriters the other day and I was saying I always think of it like, if I want to see a really good film that's out or mm. I might want to buy a new album and I get like a little taster of what it's like mm. and if you want to hear more or watch more you go and pay to buy more they wouldn't necessarily need to send 
the whole thing. If they do, again, I would make sure that they've got everything credited to them. And also, I don't think there's anything wrong within the correspondence that you're having of just saying, you know, just stating it in writing. It's not going to stop them necessarily doing it. And I have had students tell me they've seen things used later. And then Instagram's a whole other world of <laughs> a nest. Yeah, I think um, you can do things like watermarking. I'd like to think that if one of our students is working with someone in industry, particularly if it's for an industry project, mm-hmm. that those sort of things would be clearly stated in a contract as well. And I think that's something I always say to students. If you're not clear on what it is you're signing, don't sign it. It's as simple as that. I think that's really um, important. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Okay. So just coming over to you, Matt, how would you suggest that students find their first clients as a freelancer? So where, where do they begin? Freelancer club, obviously. <laughs> uh, I think there's part of this conversation that might kind of link in nicely is the idea of how do I get work? People want me to have experience. I can't get experience unless I give it away for nothing. The collaborative piece, I think, plays a big role here. So in fashion, beauty, lifestyle, people are able to come together and produce work collaboratively, known as a test shoot, which I'm sure a lot of your students already know about. And within that space, they all can use the content for their portfolio and it'd actually be great to get uh, Roxanne's uh, um, sort of legal hat on this as well but to build up the portfolio to get you to a space where you're then able to apply to a, a paid position would be the ideal trajectory for most freelancers and uni is the perfect uh, space to be able to do that. In reality I think a lot of guys are trying to pick out their first clients via various different means whether it's friends and family recommendation which is almost always the first job you'll get as a freelancer if particularly you have been brought up in the area where you're looking to freelance. I remember my first journey was, was like sympathy jobs, basically. Someone saying, oh, this poor guy needs a break. And from that, you grab hold of those people and they are incredibly important to create the foundation for a freelancer because very soon they dry up and you need to go and find clients that you have no connection with. Uh, social media is playing a big role. I think it's the Wild West. I think it's oversaturated, and I don't think enough students in particular know how to use it properly for business and within a business context. A lot of people's go-to is just to put everything out on every channel available, and for that, it becomes very time-consuming and very ineffective. Step one for me would be to figure out who your target audience is and, and work out if they're hanging out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and, and if they are, how are you presenting yourself? In fashion, Instagram is a great tool to connect people and gets, uh, I know a lot of work flows through there. For more corporate stuff, obviously LinkedIn, but it doesn't have to be corporate in terms of what you do. If you provide photography or video for a corporate client, then LinkedIn is, is your area, even though you are doing something very creative and and your mind may go to Instagram, for example. Um, And then there are good jobs boards out there uh, online. I I know you guys uh, here have have one. I know that, you know, a a simple Google will bring up a few options and creating online profiles on various different sites is sort of typically step two or three for most students. That piece, I think, is not talked about enough. And creating that profile, which should really be a snapshot of what your brand looks like in the in the wider expanse. So for us, when we designed the, the, the portfolio on the site, we thought what do clients want? And then we asked them. So we're in a weird position where we 
are sort of the mouthpiece to a lot of freelancers. But then we also talk to clients constantly. And the top five things they wanted were portfolio, which is anything. If, you, if you're a developer, it might be to do with the output. So you're not just the quality of your code, but also look what you've done. Professionalism, price, personality. And then a new one that's come in is influence. Particularly in content, a lot of people are keen to leverage the influence of a freelancer, i.e. they have a lot of followers on Instagram. They'll do a shoot and within the contract, they'll say they'll, they'll post two images of that content behind the scenes or the end product or whatever. And this, I think, is profile is, is something that if you get right, it does a few things. One, it'll massively increase your chances of getting work on a number of platforms. Uh, two, I think it gives you a really clean microcosm of what your brand should look like. And it gives you a really good understanding, like your bio in 30 words, for example, is a great challenge to be able to get an elevator pitch together. And then it, it, it also then allows you to promote yourself confidently online. It's a good practice, in my opinion, for freelancers to be able to understand who they are as a business and ultimately get those two, three key clients after the friends and family ones have dried up. No, I just think a lot of what um, Matt's talking about really resonates with the way that I explain intellectual property to students. You've been talking about connections, communication, influencing, and I think it's getting students to understand that intellectual property is like a tool that they can use to actually help leverage and kind of facilitate these conversations. Um, thinking about, you were saying about the different social media platforms, I think again it's knowing what it is you're wanting to kind of brand like how to brand yourself but also thinking about your audiences which you were just talking about and thinking about the impact if you do have your digital footprint before you are doing what you're doing now and sort of being mindful that that content will have your own kind of rights invested in it good or bad so it's thinking about your profile in that way and um, but just on collaboration I think it it might sound really obvious but it's something actually you touched upon about kind of when you're connecting with whether it's family members or whatever when you're starting out actually law aside a lot of it comes down to good relationship building transparency trust and just being really clear on what you want to get out of whatever partnership you go into Great. So, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. so, as you know, projects and competitions are constantly being advertised to students. So, yeah. how do students know which ones to enter from an IP perspective? Yeah, so I think it's, um, I have seen a few, and I think it's, again, goes back to, it's got to be something that's mutually beneficial, it's got to be something that's fair for the students. If it's going to give them a good platform and that visibility, that's mm -hmm. great. They must always read what the terms and conditions are. I can't emphasise that enough because that could say, for example, you can enter into this competition for whatever it's for and you assign your intellectual property rights over to this company forever and ever. It's irrevocable, which means you can't go back on it. You can't do anything else with it really except for this particular competition. So I think always look at the terms and conditions first. Another thing to think about, again, going back to collaboration, there may be opportunities beyond the scope of that competition. If like um, someone from industries approach UAL for competition, there might be other, you're savvy, there might be ways that student might connect with that company afterwards. So it's again thinking about strategically, I guess, where it might be beneficial to, to enter it. The, and just the idea of when you leave university and then suddenly you become this professional, valuable freelancer no longer is it to do with credits or under the guise of an educational experience, for example. The competition 
jargon and that word is dangerous in my opinion and it's getting used and utilized by certain platforms i don't want to name and shame stuff but you quite easily find who they are asking would you like to post a project post a paid project or would you like to set a competition what that does for professional freelancers is it means let's say there's a hundred applicants 99 people will have done that job and not being paid. And I, I, we may get into spec work, which is more design-driven stuff, but this for me is an area that isn't spoken about. I think it stems from when you're in university, that jargon's in your head and you're used to that format. And it's not explained that once you're out of university, you have a value, you are a professional freelancer that should be taken seriously, and companies need to start respecting that aspect. Because that is a loophole for me that's getting heavily exploited. And particularly the, the word around it is very confusing for students, and I think it's very unfair on students to be able to try and navigate that on their own when they've, when they've gone through it for three, four years. I think that sort of leads us on to the um, campaign, the No Free Work campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the campaign was set up because myself and my business partner at the time, who we were both freelancers, had experienced a lot of stuff whereby we were getting asked to work for free. Mm. And that's, a, that's a, a big piece in itself. So what does that mean? A lot of the time it's, first of all, are you a professional freelancer? Are you in a position whereby you can provide a company with value? If the answer is yes, well then, if they're asking you to work for, say, the experience, you need to question that. Um, if they ask you to work for exposure, you need to question that. Some people will ask you to work for the prestige of the brand. And this idea of this incredible brand that you've bought into and looked up to all your life and you would just die to work for them. You would be amazed at how many people at top levels continue to do that. Ego is a funny old thing. There are other things like the promise of paid work after a test or after the first couple of months, which again for me has huge opportunity for exploitation. And then a bunch of other wacky and weird reasons why you should give up your time and, and service for nothing. So the campaign came about because we didn't like how that was happening. And we saw a lot of exploitative examples whereby our members were getting ripped off and getting used and they weren't getting a fair trade. So the first thing the campaign wants to do is, is educate on all of these gray areas. And honestly, we could talk for hours about the gray areas, everything that we've talked about already and various different bits of views. So we wanna educate on what is it? What is unpaid work? When should you consider it? When should you absolutely shut it down? And the second piece is then to educate freelancers and companies on the other side. Uh, we're asking everyone to sign a petition, which can be found on our website, to say they won't post unpaid work. We've already got thousands of signatures from both sides. We're putting together an internal campaign group with some of the biggest industry leaders to, to effectively say, in principle, we agree with this concept. I'd like to change legislation following on from a really successful New York bill that got passed uh, last year, maybe 2017, called Freelancing Isn't Free. Um, and we have a template to follow that we're able to potentially introduce new legislation that would protect freelancers, things like mandatory contracts, double damages if they do have to go to small claims court and a few other bits and pieces we're keen to push out there. But more importantly is a change in culture. It's a change in how businesses are treating freelancers and how freelancers value themselves. So speaking at universities, going to talk to companies, putting together a directory on our website that's gonna be in place hopefully in the next couple of months which will list businesses who do back the campaign. Almost like a fair trade badge to say this is an ethical company that does follow it on uh, from what they've signed. And 
really for us to try and not make this into a witch hunt. What we want to do is run a compassionate campaign and we want to celebrate businesses who support this. So we've got to get the top guys in industry in all these main areas to, to say, you know what, we see the problem, we're aware of it and we're not going to uh, entertain it. And as we created freelancers start to get more and more influence post-Brexit, which I think is going to happen, you're going to see uh, millennials in particular want to work with ethical companies much more than they will a company that has a reputation for exploitation. So what we want to yeah, hopefully get to a stage where culture is shift, shifted completely from where we are now. So it is a taboo concept to be able to uh, offer somebody unpaid work. That would be successful. Um, so thank you so much to Matt and Roxanne um, for today. It's been really, really insightful. Um, I think the students are going to find it beneficial. Um, and